And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. New Midweek Fancast for you. Jay Patton Rancer here. It's been a week since the Canucks were on the ice. It has been two weeks, Tom, since they have played hockey. Remember when the Canucks used to play hockey games? I don't. Not really. <laughs> I mean, what was it, March 24th, 23rd, something like that, when, when we last saw them play the Winnipeg Jets? Um, yeah, it's been a long, long time. And, you know, it's frustrating, right? Like, the Canucks continue to produce positive tests straight up, right? Like, uh, the... The results from Tuesday, you know, will indicate that another player is tested positive. So, you know, in addition to not having played a game now in almost two weeks, I think it actually is two weeks today since they last yeah. hit the ice in NHL competition. Um, you know, they're also now at seven days in which positives have been produced every single day um, and an eight of the last nine. Uh, so hopefully anyway, this is the last of it. Hopefully there are days where no additional positives are produced, where no additional players flip from negative to positive as they go through and continue to go through their daily testing. But man, what a, you know, what a, what a tough week, like a hellish week it's been for the hockey club. Yeah. I mean, Jake Vertanen, the latest to be added. And then I kind of thought, because we had seen uh, the night before uh, a lot of these days here where Drager had reported that you know, the test had come back and there would be another, and then we would find out the following day who was added to the list. And there was nothing from Drager on Tuesday night. And I kind of thought, all right, like maybe, maybe we're going to get through Wednesday where there won't be any Canucks added to the list. But then I saw that uh, he tweeted out this morning that, nope, <laughs> there's been another positive. And, and here we are a week removed from that morning skate, that fateful morning skate on the Wednesday ahead of the game that was supposed to be played against the Calgary Flames. And they're still producing positive tests. And so, uh, you know, you, you really can't even begin to start looking forward and what's next and those types of things until 
we get a couple of days where there are no positives added to the list. But I just keep thinking with the week, you know, benefit of a week of hindsight now, like, you know, remember the time they postponed the Canucks and the Flames and the old due to abundance of caution. Like, man, did the league and the Flames dodge such a massive bullet knowing what we know about that Wednesday morning skate. Like, can you imagine if they had gone into battle that night, the Canucks and the Flames, and actually played that game? Like, no. it, would be, it would be two teams that are, you know, everything the Canucks have dealt with over the last seven days, Flames would be in the same boat. Well, and, and you know, think about how this is all rolled out too, right? Like, with Adam Gaudet testing positive on Monday, then two additional positive tests on the Wednesday, then six, then ten, then one, two, one, and it looks like two, a player and additional support staffer. And I mentioned on the podcast yesterday there was a support staffer who had sort of needed to to have their test run again to verify it. But based on Drager's tweets, it does look like that support staffer has, in fact, tested positive. That's the first of the Canucks support staffers to, uh, you know, have their tests flip. So, but you think about the weird way that rolled out, right? And how, like, for example, the Canucks player that tested positive yesterday did so after five, producing five negatives after his last exposure. Like, man, the risk if you'd had the Flames and the Canucks as to, like, when the Flames would have even begun to flip, right? Would they have played another team? Uh, right. You're right. Like the the disaster scenarios, you know, quickly multiply and, you know, goes goes back to sort of a, an overarching feeling that I have. And, and, you know, I do want to talk too about the P1 confusion with Bonnie Henry, right, where and, and you know, this is one where I, I really hope I don't want to I don't want to accuse anyone of anything, but I really hope no one's playing politics here with this high profile outbreak in our community because the NHL clearly believes that it was the variant based on working assumptions, based on, you know, what, what our league sources at the athletic have told us on and on. Bonnie Henry had declared the P one cluster contained on April 2nd, right? So like the league has not an interest in, but the league would obviously rather this be this outbreak, the biggest one they faced this season be the result of, you know, not their protocols being soft, but a, a new variant that they weren't prepared to deal with, right? That that sort of takes heat off the NHL and the Canucks themselves. The provincial health officer would obviously have an interest in the P1 being contained based on their comments on April 2nd, right? Like the, to, sure. to declare yeah. the P1 cluster contained on April 2nd and then to have the highest workplace in Vancouver brought low – um, over the intervening four days, like, you know, and, and so she declared that she wasn't aware of it. Right. And look, this is something where the organization hasn't been able to speak or confirm information effect of uh, officially it's time now. Like I do think it's in the public interest to understand whether or not this was the P one. I hope that whether it's the province, the Canucks or the NHL, an official communication to that effect um, you know, occurs just like Mark Bergevin officially confirmed that the variant was at play in the Montreal case. Like it's time for that pretty quickly here. And if it doesn't happen in the next 24 hours, then certainly it should in the next 48. Like we do need to have clarity here. And, you know, we also have to keep in mind that whether it's the variant or not, 
you know, COVID cases in general have been on the rise in our community for six, eight weeks, um, even before the potential impact of the P1. And, and there's a ton of experts who believe that the P1 is, in fact, spreading locally and rampant. And so, you know, we'll, we'll sort of see how this turns out. But I do hope we get clarity and official confirmation. I think it's a, a matter of civic importance. And, and I do hope that, um, you know, the, the powers that be, whether it's the league, the team and the provincial health authorities, uh, come together to provide that clarity officially in the days ahead. Well, and I thought it was a little strange that in her daily briefing on Tuesday, uh, Bonnie Henry said, and I think she chose her words carefully when she said she wasn't aware of it, right? She didn't come out with a hard no. No. You'd like to think that the provincial medical health officer would be aware of things, but I just thought that was interesting because, uh, again, and this is where we get our official Canuck news these days, is the owner tweeted out and used the word variant, right? Like in his tweet, he declared that it was in fact the variant that had run through the Canucks. So uh, you're right. Like, And I've said this for a while now, and, and I know I'm not alone, but it, it is time for somebody in the organization just to step up and answer a few questions here. Uh, and I'm not even sure what I, I, I need them. To, I mean, I'm with you about knowing for sure about the variant, but beyond that, I don't know what I want them to say. Or what they can say. Something tells me that the league is probably advising them not to speak at this point. Uh, well, guys are still testing positive. But again, I think the silence isn't helping the cause here. Uh, just kind of changing gears, but not really. Because when I mentioned the owner tweeting, it wasn't just last Wednesday that the Canucks were supposed to play the Calgary Flames. As I recall, Tom, it was five hours before puck drop that there were these reports that Thatcher Demko had signed a contract with the Vancouver Canucks. It has never been confirmed by the hockey club outside of the owner tweeting no, know. about Thatcher Demko. Like, these are such strange times. We're all led to believe that that deal is, in fact, done. People have reported that Penn has been put to paper. And I get COVID has taken over now. But put your PR hat on for a sec. Is there a file in somebody's computer... I was going to say at Rogers Arena, but nobody's at Rogers Arena these days. But is there a file that exists with a press release written and ready to hit send on Thatcher Demko, and they're just waiting to get out from under this COVID cloud? 100%. 1,000% yes. And, you know, the the calculation on the Wednesday is, you know, what do we really want to announce this and sort of like rub Jacob Markstrom's face in it? You know, like, is this the time to do it or do we wait until tomorrow morning? You know, like, do we just wait and then national media get wind of it and then the organizations in the, in the spot of sort of um, not, you know, saying locally that it's not quite finalized and um, clearly it has been. And yeah, so you get to this weird moment where the club doesn't announce it. Then as of as a Wednesday, the game gets canceled Thursday. You know, the club is still hopeful at that point, right? Like at that point, you've got three positive tests, right? You've got a coach and two players. So at that point, you're hopeful. And, you know, you you know that everyone was still hopeful because the NHL put out a release announcing when the Canucks would play again. And it was right. only six days on, right? Yeah. Like, there was a lot of hope still that this would be contained um, and would match the experience of, for example, the Canadians, where the spread was relatively contained, right? And that night, you end up, having six players test positive right and then the next day it's 10 but but that first day that thursday you're thinking today is about us like if you're a pr guy this is how i'd be thinking about it i'd be like today is about 
you know, seriousness of, of COVID and hygiene. And it's not about celebrating a player that, you know, we've now sort of cemented as a core piece. In fact, he's the first core piece that we have to resign here who's committed long-term to us, right? Like this is a huge story for our hockey te- team. I'm not wasting it or I don't want it, I don't want it to be obscured by what's gone on in terms of, you know, these two, three tests. We'll wait until the outbreak's clear. And then, and then quickly you end up in the like, oh, this is a calamity, right? And then it just gets shelved because honestly, it doesn't matter. But at some time we do need to hear Jim talk about it, right? Like there's oh, some... And, and Thatcher. And Thatcher, but Thatcher, I mean, you know, hopefully Thatcher, I don't actually have specifics on, on his um, symptoms and stuff, but obviously he's on the protocol. So um, hopefully he is feeling well and, you know, is up to doing so shortly. But you're right. We do need to talk to Thatcher about it. We do need to talk to Jim about it. And I'm sure we will in due course. But you're right. Like, it's a good thing to point out because it's fallen so far off the priority list. And yet it's the club making a $25 million investment into a goaltender who's played 62 games, right? Um, they've made the investment without having security from the, the goalie coach that's worked with him and got the most out of him. Like, there's a ton of meat on that bone. And, uh, and you know, I'd like to chew on it. It's just not quite time yet, right? Right. And, and look, we addressed it on one of the pods. And, and yes, there are risks and some pitfalls there. But I think overall... Like, as the news broke, it was fairly well-received in uh, the Canucks Twitter community. Like, I think it qualifies, at least I would put it in the good news category. And for a team that could use some good news right now, they they just have to sit on it. And there's really nothing they can do, and I totally get that. But it's just such a, again, add it to the list of sort of bizarre things in this past week that, you know, you're sitting on news that's out there. Uh, it's not official, but we all know it's happened. Uh, but it, in the grand scheme, doesn't mean much because it's always going to be there when they get out on the other side of this whole COVID thing. So I just, it, it kind of, as I was thinking back, you know, the events of last Wednesday, and I was like, oh yeah, like in the middle of all that, there was this Demco news that broke and the club just hasn't been able to do anything with it. So at some point, uh, you know, there's this laundry list of things that we'll get to eventually uh, but first and foremost, it's COVID. And like, I, I think a lot of people are wondering, too, you know, when are we going to see the Canucks on the ice? Because you had mentioned, like, initially, the league was like, hey, guys, take the weekend off. You know, you can get back to practice on Tuesday and play your games a week from now. And obviously, we know that that hasn't been the case. And now we're to the point where, you know, this seven-game road trip, they would have been in the midst of a seven-game road trip now. We had laid this out of the pod that uh, it would include the trade deadline on Monday. They would have been in Edmonton. That was going to be a game day, the first of two against the Oilers. And the second of those two was going to be the conclusion of a seven-game road trip. So I think it's fair to say that none of those games will take place, including a game in Edmonton one week from now. I do wonder. To me, this is sort of the the test in all of this. And they're not going to play games until they have enough healthy bodies. And that the league has done its due diligence to make sure that nobody's being put in harm's way. But I feel like the Saturday game on April 17th, 10 days from now, a home game against the Toronto Maple Leafs is the test for the NHL. Because let's be honest, like a crisis isn't really a crisis until the Leafs are involved somehow, right? Like this is all going on in in Vancouver and that's fine, but it hasn't impacted the Toronto Maple Leafs in any way. But that's a four o'clock local time. It's the prime time slot. 
the first of the two games on Hockey Night in Canada, and it would impact the Leafs if they had to postpone that game. I wonder if that's the game that the National Hockey League is looking at. Is it possible, do you think? Could they be playing games 10 days out from now? Yeah, I think they could. I don't think it's straightforward, though, right? Like, you no. uh, you have, um, I mean, you know, the, the league's always kind of been a little bit fuzzy on how long after a positive test before someone can return and whether or not it's, you know, 10 or 14 days, right? And, and obviously, we've seen them make special exemptions for high-risk close contacts. Um, but, you know, in the Jordy Ben case, for example, uh, you know, Ben seemed to indicate that he was mostly asymptomatic when he returned, but he hadn't been able to act like you're not able to exercise at all when you're in isolation. Um, like it took him a while. Remember, like he didn't come just yep. back into the lineup yeah. and they sort of needed him. Right. Like they, that wasn't a lineup decision. That was a get a guy back up to gear. So he missed the 10 days. Plus, I think he returned to practice after 10 days. So that would suggest to me anyway that uh, and the the player that tested positive that is added to the list today and Jake Vertanen would not be available for that game, but potentially everyone else could be. Well, if you're only down two players, then yeah, I mean, I think that's a somewhat realistic timeline. However, I also think it just depends on where the majority of players are in terms of symptoms, right? And one thing that you have to be careful with in covering this virus, especially with what we know about it, is the symptomatic experience differs wildly and you go really quickly. People who have it, people who are COVID positive go really quickly from being like, I'm in recovery now to no, no longer being to, Oh, this, uh, it hit me in the mouth worse. You know, like this is one where it's tough. Um, you know, I, I've heard a lot of reports about players feeling better. Um, I'm really, I'm really hopeful that that trend continues, but, I, but I'm also very careful in sort of describing it as recovery because that's just not how this illness works. This is like a sneaky virus that just you feel, you think you feel better then you feel terrible in the evening. You think you feel better and then you don't. Um, that's sort of the cyclical nature that, you know, the COVID, the COVID symptomatics experience um, is pr pretty universal to that sort of um, shifting quickly shifting condition. So, you know, I think ultimately it'll come down to whether or not a critical mass of bodies from the Canucks, you know, with some replacement players thrown in, uh, are able to, you know, get back on the ice by the 15th, get a couple practice days in, and then probably get absolutely trounced Buffalo Sabres style, <laughs> right? By, by a yeah. Toronto Maple Leafs team that has their legs, while Vancouver is like completely winded, and it takes forever for them to get back. Like I talked to, I talked to um, a European coach who... Um, you know, his team went down with COVID and it was a little more staggered over the course of the season. And, you know, he was, you know, just suggesting to me that it takes a long time. Like he felt like it took his team a month to find their form and legs and, and wind um, after their, after the infection. So, you know, I, I mean, look, Philadelphia, Dallas, Buffalo, like we, we have Dallas early in the season. They couldn't break the puck out. With that blue line, they couldn't break the puck out. Like, it was brutal to watch. Um, New Jersey got off to a hot start. Awful since their COVID shutdown. Uh, Buffalo, we don't even need to go into it, right? Just like a winning streak or a losing streak for all for all time. 
Um, and then Philly, right? Philly too. Philly got off to this great start. Seven players at the COVID list. Now, granted, it's been mostly goaltending, but like, good God, they've been bad, right? Yeah. So, you know, I, I mean, the experience suggests anyway that teams do not just come back from this and play capably. So, yeah, I mean, look, 17th, maybe, maybe, um, you know, that seems somewhat realistic based on what we know now. But I, th- I think a lot will depend on the condition of the team and the condition of players and how everyone recovers and whether or not a critical mass is ready to return to the ice and athletic activity by, you know, the 15th at the very latest to prepare for that game. Right. So the Saturday the 17th would be the one home game against Calgary and then the seven game road trip that would have been wiped out. So that'd be eight games. Now there is this question of can they make them up? Will they make them up? Keep in mind. The, through all of this, and the Canucks haven't played a game in two weeks as we record this, Montreal still has two games in hand on the Vancouver Canucks. Like, the Canucks have 19 games remaining on their schedule somehow, some way. The Habs have 21. Like, I don't hear people screaming about, like, how's Montreal going to be able to finish a season? Like, even in this massive gap in their schedule, the Canucks have games to give against the Montreal Canadiens. So I, I think that there is, I mean, it would be a challenge for the schedule maker, certainly, but I think there is a way, uh, even if it does include that extra week, sort of the buffer week that they could play. Uh, it's just a question of if they're not going to be a playoff team, do those games against Ottawa and Calgary, do they need to go ahead uh, for the Vancouver Canucks? But I, there, there's a but, part of me, but Tom. J-Pat, but JPAT, by the time the 17th gets around, the Habs will, ha- the Canucks will have five games in hand on the Habs. True. You're right. So okay. it's like, so, so it's like, they, they, you know what I mean? Like they're playing an insanely dense set here, yeah. right? Like they played today, which is, you know, for our listeners, the seventh. So they play the seventh, the eighth, the 10th, the 12th, the 14th, the 16th, and the 17th. <laughs> um, you know, and, and look, it's one thing to do that in midseason when you've had a, as light a schedule as the Habs did. Plus, of course, they had that week off from their own COVID shutdown, right? So this is not a representative streak for the Habs. This is already the NHL in scramble mode to accommodate them, right? Making schedule changes that impacted 19 teams, right? So what we're looking at for the Habs over the stretch here, like, is just a level of insane density. They just lost uh, Carey Price and Brendan Gallagher to injury. I suspect those aren't the last injuries they're going to have here with, with that much hockey in that short a period of time. But yeah, they have seven games in the next 10 days, effectively. And... So when, but say the Canucks get back on the ice on the 17th, that leaves 13 days left in April and 14 days on the very outside. Um, you know, at, if you take that whole buffer week that the NHL built in and go beyond the 11th to the 14th of, of May, um, that's 27 days to play 19 games with a team that just had a majority outbreak. Like, come on. I, yeah. I don't think that's a reasonable ask. Like, I don't think that's a reasonable ask. I don't think, uh, you know, how t- like tell me how asking a team where almost where the majority of players are now covid positive 10 days from now should be should should set out to play 19 games in 27 days to comp- to protect the competitive integrity of the competition like what what <laughs> yeah. that's out the window man that's yeah. out the window like the nhl needs to grow up on this 56 uniform 56 games does not matter at all at all um, you know, give the Canucks the time they need, have them play their remaining games, like have them play lop off the, is it two against Ottawa and four against Calgary? Yes. Right. 
No, they got four. They got four left against the Sens and four oh, against the Flames. Good God, good God! They, lop those, they were lop su- those they, eight games off. Who cares? Who they were supposed cares? to play. They were supposed to play four straight against the Sens, two at home and two on the road. No, I mean lop those games off. Lop those. Play eleven games over twenty-seven days. Like that's doable. I mean, honestly, you could play eleven games over twenty-five. That's doable. That I think you'd have players, you know, capable of competing and mustering a decent level of performance, even if they're, you know, not quite feeling like themselves. Um, that is doable. Lop those games off. Put them at the end. If Calgary goes on a hot run and the games matter, you can play those four against Calgary. Just lose the Ottawa games. No one needs to see four more games of the Canucks beating the Ottawa Senators. You know what I mean? Like, no one needs to see that. Um, we don't. I don't need to see that. Do you need to see that, j no, I mean, I guess the intrigue for me, and, and this is with a small I intrigue, was, you know, could the Canucks sweep the Senators? They've won all five. Uh, I wanted to see if they could run the table against the Senators in nine games. Because it's funny, like, the Sens have given other teams in this division trouble for whatever reason. And I know that the Canucks needed an overtime and a shootout. Like, it wasn't like they, they didn't steal. I, 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 yeah, they, those, were, those were their worst games of the season for me. The games in Ottawa. Yeah, not, awful. Yeah. Right. I mean, Demko, Demko hit it, but it's like those were brutal games. Yeah, but I'm with you. I, I don't no, I don't need to see the Canucks play the Senators four more times. No. They they so, got to be they got to be adult about this. They got to you know you'll, you'll you'll make it up to the regional broadcasters. You know what I mean? Like they'll get something. I don't know what they get, but they'll get something. You'll make it up to them. And just just don't. It, what what are we even talking about? Like, there's no need for those four games to be played. Those four games against Calgary, maybe they matter if Calgary or Vancouver gets really hot. Um, but it's like, so put those at the back end, put schedule those games for the buffer week, and and the Canucks can play an 11-game season. You finish at, you know, or 11 games to end their season. They finish at 47 games to everyone else, and their draft lottery seeding uh, is determined by point percentage. Like, what is so wrong with that? That makes so much sense. Nothing else makes sense to me in terms of fitting in the rest of the Canucks games then it probably won't happen if it makes that much sense. You're right. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, we're moving in on the trade deadline. We're going to have Farhan on the podcast on Thursday, so we'll uh, certainly talk more about the trade deadline, and that'll be another day where perhaps we'll see some activity around the National Hockey League. We saw Taylor Hall and Kyle Palmieri held out of the same game as Buffalo beat New Jersey on, on Tuesday night, but there sounded like there was a little bit of movement on the Tanner Pearson front in as much as he still looks like he might be the Canucks' best trade chip, but the reports are swirling that the two sides are getting closer to an extension. And I know that we have kind of talked this to death, that we're on the same page, that we both think that it would be in the, the team's best interest to move on from Tanner Pearson and acquire some sort of asset. But, uh, Tom, that doesn't seem to be the way the talks are going. Well, and not a huge surprise. Like I no. think, I think that the I think that Tanner Pearson has always been a priority for certainly the general manager, and 
You know, I, I think when you consider that this Canucks team loves to make the playoffs, right? Like they love to make the playoffs, especially when there's going to be fans in the building, right? Beyond this season, if you don't re-sign Tanner Pearson, then your competition at second line left wing, based on who you've got signed anyway, is like Roussel, Tyler Mott, Niels Hoaglander, Pod Colson. And I don't think ideally, the cl- I, like I think the club recognizes that in an ideal world, you know, Hoaglander wouldn't have been in the spot that he was in this season, right? That he, you would have been able to sort of bring him along more slowly. And I think they would prefer to do something like that with Vasily Podkolzin next season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm not shocked by any means that the club is aggressively pursuing this, but it's just so clearly an error. Like, I don't know how else to say that. Like, it's well, sorry, I do know how 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 to say it. It's just it doesn't make sense. Like this club's this club's big challenge at the moment is to get both better depth that's cheaper. You know what I'm saying? So signing a player you have already at a relatively expensive ticket 4 months out from the opening of another buyer's market um Four months out from an expansion process in which a ton of players could shake loose, you know, comparable players at cut rate prices, like it just doesn't make a ton of sense. It shows a lack of faith in your own ability to identify undervalued players around the league that can bring you and, and you know, Tanner Pearson, like what's Tanner Pearson on pace for, J-Pat? I'm sure you know this over an 82 game season in terms of his production this year. Like we're talking about what? 30 points. Goals. 15 goals, 29 yeah. points. Uh, he's got six goals and five assists and 11, 11 points in, in the 33 games that he played. And so 15 goals on an 82-game pace. But Tom, remember too, he's been a second-line guy entirely in his time here as a Canuck and with power play two duties. And now power play two hasn't done much this year. Uh, I think he's got one power play goal. But if you're signing Tanner Pearson it's going to be more than a one-year deal. So, like, what is... I see red flags with the player. I guess... And maybe I'm alone in this. Maybe this is just an off year for him, production-wise. He had 21 goals last year. People always talk about this chemistry with Horvat, yet it's been pointed out that Bo doesn't have an assist on any of the six Tanner Pearson goals this year. But I just... Is this a player that's in decline? Is this the start of some sort of decline as he approaches his 29th birthday? Or is this just an off year? Like, what are the Canucks locking themselves into? Because we've just come through a cycle with Roussel and Beagle and obviously Louis Erickson too. Uh, You know, like, it just, it kind of feels like this Tanner Pearson extension could just be a replacement for one of those contracts that the Canucks have been trying to get out from under (laughs) for a couple of seasons. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. Like, the inefficient money on your books can't expire if you keep signing new deals Completely. that match that description. Um, you know, and, and, you know, the, I like Tanner Pearson as a guy. I've enjoyed covering him. I like Tanner Pearson as a player, right? Like, the problem with losing a player like Tanner Pearson is that you don't have Tanner Pearson after you lose him, right? Like, Tanner Pearson is probably, the club's third best winger this season, despite the lack of production, right? Like in terms of consistency, um, you know, he, he's a really good complimentary middle six winger. I like a lot of what Tanner Pearson brings. Um, I think he's a zero maintenance pro, all of those things. And if the Canucks were a team 
that were like a bona fide playoff team, I think signing Tanner Pearson to a two-year deal at $3 million per makes sense. Like there are teams for whom, you know, Tanner Pearson's veteran experience, his reliability as a dude, the fact that he's a good person, the fact that he's still a useful player, the fact that he's versatile enough to play in every situation and complement skilled players are all huge positives and would be worth that outlay of money. But for a Canucks team that is pivoting to a new stage of their rebuild, the whole task here, like the whole task is how do we upgrade their our depth at the same time that we make it cheaper, right? Like this is a team that needs to be on the hunt for Carter Verhage, you know, the next Carter Verhage, not re-signing Tanner Pearson with a cap hit that's going to be four times what Verhage's is in Florida, right? Like this is a team that needs to be taking some swings and some bets on some $1 million players who, if things break right, can provide 90, maybe even 110% of what Tanner Pearson brings um, at a third of the cost because you need that money elsewhere. So, J-Pat, here's, here's the other thing to keep in mind. So, let's look at the Canucks 2021-2022 cap situation. This is the second straight flat cap season, 81.5. Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes are the big shoes to drop. Let's give them favorable, like relatively favorable bridges, right? These are bridges that I think Rick Dollywall would say are a little too low. Oh, and call me the assistant general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. So I'm going to sign Quinn Hughes at three years times six million. Is that okay with you? You okay with that as like a yeah, re- relatively do, realistic low, baseline? But, but yeah, I, I, that's low, but I, for the, the object of this experiment... I'm prepared to run with it. Sure. Okay. And then I'll have Pedersen. So I've got Hughes beating the Wierenski McAvoy comps by a, by a million dollars. And I've got, I'm going to have Pedersen beating the Barzell uh, experiment comps by 500K. So 7,500,000, right? Again, a little low, but, you know, realistic, right? Are you okay with that? You want to so quibble with that thir- at all? 13, 13 and a half for the two of them? 13 and a half for the two of them. Okay. So I see Jim Benning doing cartwheels here. As, yes, exactly. Uh, Right, so I'm going a little low to keep it to keep it conservative, but also Fair keeping enough. it relatively realistic. Now I'm going to sign Tanner Pearson for two years at three million. Right, two years, three million. I think that's you know, look, I said two five times two on this podcast. How long ago, J Pat? Like eight weeks, ten weeks yep. ago. Yep. So that's still sort of what I'd consider to be a deal that the Canucks should do. Like if look, if this comes in at two times two point five, I still think it's the wrong strategic play. But I'll get it. Like I'll get that you're paying Pearson a you know marginal surplus uh, above his market value because you love the guy. Like that, I, that I'm okay with. Culture matters. You know, I'm okay with that. Um, so so Pearson, but I'm giving Pearson three because I think that's more realistic. I think it's really hard. You know, it's really hard for an agent to go to a player and say, um, you know, I know you play five minutes more per game than Jake Vertanen, but we're taking uh, 50,000 less per season than he's taking. Uh, like, I think that's a really hard thing to, to say to a, your client as an agent. I also think it's hard for your, for an agent to say to their client, we're, look, we're, we're going to pay you what Jay Beagle and Antoine Roussel are making. Uh, that is, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> even though you play and produce a ton more than them. So if Jay Beagle is not on LTIR, right? If Jay Beagle is not on LTIR and I've Signed Pearson at three, Hughes at seven, or sorry, Hughes at six, and Pedersen at seven five. That leaves me with, uh, you know, 
about six and six point seven million in cap space, JPAT, with sixteen players signed, right? Yikes! Yeah, and only yeah. Myers Schmidt Hughes on the blue line, right? Right, and it's just like and and my and my bottom six, I don't have a third line center. My top six still includes Jake Furtanen. My second line right now is like McEwen playing out of position at center with Hoaglander. Oh, I guess Vertanen, Hoaglander can play top six. Um, so Vertanen, McEwen, and Mott. Like, I still need two bottom six center. Well, I guess I've got Beagle. So I've got, I still need a third line center and, uh, and an entire defense core. And we know that this Canucks team wasn't good enough. And I've only got like 6.7 million to do it once I factor in the overage from, Quinn Hughes's bonuses, right? So it's just like now. Now look, even if even if Jay Beagle is on long term injured reserve next season, and there's beginning to be whispers that that might be the case, that that might be an additional source of created cap space for the Canucks. Even if I do that, I'm looking at nine point seven million to flesh out a bottom six group that currently includes Tyler Mott, Zach McEwen, Jake Furtanen, Antoine Roussel. Like, nowhere near good enough. I need a really good third-line center and a good fourth-line center. Um, and a defense core that has Schmidt, Myers, and Hughes. Like, you know, none of those guys are defensive stoppers. Like, I don't know that I'd say any of them is, like, has high-end two-way intelligence. Like, this is this is not the bones of a playoff team. And, and you have to add eight players at 9.7 million, right? Like, you need to replace Pearson, but you need to replace him at 1 million, like at a third of the price that I just projected for him. And and remember too, that your reaction to both of my projected Pedersen and Hughes settlements was that's a little low. Yeah. So it's actually probably going to be tighter than what I just outlined. Uh, in that world and considering that level of crunchiness for the Canucks cap wise, like walking away, monetizing Pearson, getting an asset and going hunting in the expansion process for you know, your Carter Verhage comp, right? Um, for your, you know, whether it's Sammy Blay or Zach Sanford or one of those guys taking some swings on some young guys who have maybe haven't gotten the opportunity looking for, you know, 2021, 22 William Carlson, right? Like who's the young guy around the league who could step up into more opportunity than he has on his loaded team at the moment. Um, to me, that's a much more fruitful and efficient route for this club to pursue. I th- I think that a Pearson extension shows a lack of confidence in the organization's ability to identify those players and a lack of confidence in the depth that they have currently up front. Um, the, the latter point is justified. The former completely mystifying and indefensible. And just overall, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to be pursuing a Pearson extension, especially when, look, he's, he's probably going to be your one trade asset at this point, who's like COVID negative, right? Who's like well far enough away from the outbreak that your club's just gone through that there's no debating what impact that will have on their trade value. And and by the way, what a ghoulish topic, but one that obviously the Canucks have to be discussing internally this week, right? And other teams, other hockey ops teams are doing it too. So we're going to reflect that, but it's like, you know, Pearson's probably the most straightforward asset to move, even though he's got some kind of ankle sprain at the moment, right? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me that the Canucks would re-sign Pearson, um, you know, ultimately inking him to a deal that's likely to prove to be above market value with how the free agents free agent market is likely to shape up. 
and, you know, to do so instead of capitalizing in any way, shape, form, or otherwise on this season's disappointment. Like, it just doesn't make sense, man. It doesn't right, make so, sense So a couple of things all. that you mentioned there. One is, if you sign Tanner Pearson to a two-year deal, you want to believe that this team is going to improve to the point that by the end of the second year of his contract, if he's still a top six forward on the Vancouver Canucks, that's saying something about what this organization has done. I mean, that would be the end of year nine for Jim Benning. And if Tanner Pearson is still you know, one of your best wingers, uh, that's a little bit of a concern. In a perfect world, he drops down a little further in your lineup, but you keep mentioning, and you've been consistent throughout this hockey season, about the need for, you know, like a way better third-line center. So if Tanner Pearson drops down, you know, who's he playing with? And that's where I come back to, yeah, he's, you know, pace for 15 goals in an 82-game season, playing with Bo Horvat and getting power play time. If he drops further in the lineup, like... Because he's not a play driver, he's not a creator himself, he's a complimentary piece, but, you know, what kind of production can you truly expect from a guy two years down the line? And that's where I say I've got some red flags about, is this the start of any kind of decline for Tanner Pearson? And, and we just don't know. But, I mean, those are questions that the Canucks front office has to be asking as they evaluate what they've got here. The other thing is, and you have dropped Carter Verhage's name a bunch, both here on the pod and in print, and I have to say... Like, I am so all aboard the Carter Verhege. Like, I can't get enough of this guy now. I don't know if people even know who or what Carter Verhege is because he's playing in Florida. He played last year in Tampa. It's not like we see an awful lot of Carter Verhege here in Vancouver. But he's got 17 goals for the Florida Panthers on a $1 million. It's a two-year deal, right? A million per for two years. And he's got 17 goals in 40 games. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> right right but like yeah i mean the the panthers model makes sense for the canucks to pursue this offseason right like while while i'm singing verhage's praises right they took some other swings that didn't work out like Vinny hinestroza right um ryan lomberg right like they took some swings that did not work out and did not make sense but they were all below the line. They were all contracts you could bury. It didn't actually matter. Like, no one is wringing their hands in this market if the Canucks strike out on Lomberg and Hinnestroza. You know what I'm saying? Like, whatever. They're not on the cap sheet. They're one or two year deals. It's not a big deal. Um, they also moved Matheson. Like, they found a way to get a useful piece in Patrick Hornquist for one that, you know, his time was up in Florida, right? Like, they moved a bad contract with a longer commitment. For a shorter one, for a player that upgraded them marginally and, you know, brought some cultural heft into the locker room. Like, you know, that's the type of offseason that the Canucks need to look at and be like, that might be a model for us to bounce back from our season last year, right? Like, that's that's the ball game right there. Um, there's a template. It's in place. It's a blueprint. And it involves taking some swings. And you're going to miss on some of those swings. But they're still worth taking because the downside is is negligible. I just like saying Carter Verhege, but now, like, yeah. honestly, every time Florida's playing, like, I'm, I'm locked onto this guy. I, I want to see where this goes. And, and 17 goals in 40 games is pretty impressive. And, and he had nine last year in a very limited role with Tampa and I think got into eight playoff games as well. So, you know, there were signs of it, obviously, a third-round pick of the Leafs way back when. Uh, but he has uh, broken out this season with the Florida Panthers. So, uh, just remember... You know, it's an easy name to remember because there aren't many Carter Verheggies uh, no. in the National it's a, An easy league. name to remember, not an easy name to spell. 
There you go. <laughs> I won't even try. No. Uh, Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I mentioned earlier, Tom, Farhan's going to join us on the pod tomorrow, and we'll see what the latest is in terms of uh, the COVID developments, so see if uh, uh, we can get through a day where nobody is added to the list and uh, maybe a, a better picture of when we're going to hear from somebody uh, in the Vancouver Canuck organization on this situation. And, uh, of course, we'll get more into the trade talk as well as we work towards Monday's trade deadline. So yeah, they're not playing games, but uh, there's still a ton uh, of activity around the Vancouver Canucks and no shortage of storylines. So we'll cover that off on the third of our three VanCasts this week when Farhan Lalji of TSN stops by on the program on Thursday. I can't wait. I love having Farhan on. Farhan's the best. And as he's, you know, finishing his run, uh, keep going Farhan. Can't wait to have you tomorrow. Other pot options here at The Athletic, Jim Rutherford joins Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun on this week's two-man advantage edition of The Athletic Hockey Show. You can look for that. You can check out our comments section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. Write and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast and receive a subscription for just $3.99 a month. Uh, we'll be back with Farhan Lalji of TSN here on Thursday, so look for that. For Grant Search, Jay Pat, as always, thanks so much for listening to another edition of the VanCast here at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com.